Thank you, God. God is good, isn't he? It's good to be together in his presence. Isn't the Lord good? He's kind and he's merciful to us, isn't he? His favor and his blessing is extended towards us. In fact, I hear from the Holy Spirit, his scepter is extended towards us. Amen. You guys know that story. Esther said, I don't know. I may make it. I may not. But I'm going to go see the king. And the Bible says that the scepter was extended towards her. And he said, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And the Lord is, has his scepter towards us. There is mercy and there is grace towards us. We can bring our hearts towards him. We can bring our lives to him. We can bring our families. There is nothing that God can't do. Amen. I feel like we need to be reminded of that today. There is nothing that he can't do. There's nothing that he won't do for his people. In fact, I want to pray this. I just want to read. I'm going to read it, but it's a prayer within itself. It's uh, Psalm 91. And I just last night, kind of last minute, I put this in here because I feel like the Holy Spirit was saying, I want you to start with this. And uh, so I'm just going to read not the whole entire chapter, but some of its highlights for today. Psalm 91, verse 1. I want to read verse 1 out of the New King James because we've been talking about getting into this place with God, this oneness with God, this place where we have a strength that is not of ourselves. Amen. There's a place where the enemy cannot penetrate, and that's what I want to focus on today, that there is a place in God where we're having communion with Him. We have a life within Him, and the enemy cannot touch us. The arrows may come, the plans may be formed, but they will not prosper. Amen. His plans may be formed, but they will not prosper. The arrows may hit us, but they're going to have to hit the shield of faith. Amen. Right? So you might feel it's, you know, it's, it's strike, but know that it's hitting faith. You have said, I, I'm either going to die or I'm going to live because my hands are in the Lord's. Amen. And it says in Psalm 91, verse 1, that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. There is a secret place in God. Everybody say it out loud. There's a secret place in God. And that's why I started here with the New King James. I love the NLT. I always preach out of it. I'll, I'm going to read from verse 2 on, but uh, New King James, a more traditional text, keeps this word here, which I think is important, that it's a secret place. It's a hidden place. In fact, it's even referring to the Most Holy of Holies. Everybody say the Holy of Holies. You realize that that room was blocked off to us before the blood of Christ. Only the priest, the high priest, went in there. And even when he went in there, they tied a rope around his ankle because if he had some sort of hidden sin that he wasn't even aware about and he dropped dead in there in the Lord's presence, then they could drag him out. You guys know that. That's history. That's our Bible history. And... Uh, the most holy of holies, the Bible says that when Jesus said, it is finished, there was an earthquake on the earth, and the temple split in two, and that place in God that was blocked off from us was open to us forever, amen, through Christ. And so he says, I want you to come into that place. There is a place in me that you must get into. It is not through religion. It is not through a priest. It is not through a building. There's God, the Lord is not opposed to pastors. He's not opposed to buildings. That's not the point, right? We're here for a purpose. The building serves a purpose, right? The priest serves a purpose. There's all the people that are helping that serve a purpose, but we need to get into the Lord's presence. We need to let those things that God has put in place, he's placed those things there, 
Let them help us. They're there to keep us sharpening our iron, right? Our iron sharpening iron. We're there for accountability. We're there, right, to keep us straight. Okay, those things are fine, but we need to use what the Lord has put in place. And we need to run. The Bible says run. The Bible says even come boldly before me. Amen. He says come boldly before my throne, before my throne of grace. And so we must get into that secret place. There is a place in God that he is calling us into in this hour. There is a place that where you can bring every fear, you can bring every struggle, you can bring every affliction, and you can go into that place before the Lord, and you can bring it to him personally. Amen. And the Bible says that if we will get into that place, if we will dwell there, that he will cover us. Everybody say he will cover us. There is a shelter. There is a covering. There is a shadow from his own presence. And it says in verse 2, this I declare about the Lord, he alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. Dawn should be quoting this verbatim with us. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers, and he will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. I want you to say that out loud with me. His faithful promises are my armor and protection. Verse 9, if I make the Lord my refuge, I will, and I make the Lord most high my shelter. The Bible says, no evil will conquer me. No plague will come near our home. And he will order his angels to protect us wherever we go. Verse 14, and because he has set his love upon me, that is because we love him. The Bible says, New King James, verse 14, because I love him, he will deliver me. Amen. And it says, it says that God said, I will set him on high. Because he has loved me, I will deliver him and set him on high because he has known my name. Amen. Do you understand that? When we choose to love him instead of loving this world, the Bible says that that's where deliverance comes. Amen. That's what repentance is. I've made a choice to love him rather than myself, to love him rather than my own plans and my own desires. And the Bible says deliverance comes there. And in fact, he will set us on high because we have known his name. And verse 15, and when they call on me, it says, verse 15, when they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble, and I will rescue and honor them. I feel like the Lord wants us to start there. We've been talking about these concepts uh, for weeks now, and it, it takes time. Who knows the Bible's big? Everybody said the Bible's big, right? It's a big, uh, big Bible, and it's all one thought, the entire thing. We can't just pick and choose, right? And that's fine that we're going to get insight each time we read, and they seem like they're, you know, they're singular gems, but they create uh, one big uh, grand picture, don't they? And we can, I can pick out a gem, and I can be touched by it, but uh, the word that the Lord wants for us is a complete word. It's a whole word, so the Lord's been building here, been building week by week. This is part six of In His Strength. And I want you just to get this, 
that there is a place in him that we must get into, and, uh, and, and, and honestly, it almost seems religious, and it can even sound religious, because sometimes you have to pray things out and speak things out that you know are true by the word, but you don't feel them yet. Who's been there and who's done that, right? You, you, you even repent, and you're not even sorry yet, but you know it's the right thing to do. And so there's almost, it almost seems religious, but we need to actually get, we need to get our minds because I feel like the Lord's still bringing us deeper into this place in Him. There is a place in Him where we just have complete peace and complete security. We have hope in Him. There's this place where we have life in Him and we're just so secure. We're so secure. And I'm going to look at David in a moment. But, uh, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had gotten into that place. They had come into a place with God, such a place of security, such a place of peace, such a place of confidence in him that they said, if you kill us, then so be it. We're confident the Lord's going to deliver us, but if we die in the fire, then so be it. Because that's how much we trust our God. That's how much we love him, and that's how much we believe him. Amen. And so I want to talk to you about this key that I believe is within our word. There is a key, and we'll even call it a key to the kingdom. Jesus said, behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Did you know that there are keys to the kingdom? Anybody know that there are keys to the kingdom? It is through repentance. That is a foundation that, that cannot be, you know, Paul said, I don't, you know, don't lay any other foundation other than one I've already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And the way we, we lay that foundation, right, the way that we become part of that foundation is, is through repentance of sin, that we say, Lord God, your blood covers my sin. I'm giving you everything. I give you my life, your Lord. And so that is the foundation. And there is something that happens then, that, which is incredible, is that the Lord begins to do a supernatural work in us. God begins to do something supernatural within our spirit. It begins to change us, and we can either decide to respond to those changes, or we can decide to be rebellious. Who's been there? Who's been on both sides of it? You're already repented. You already said, Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I want to love you. I just don't want to follow you right now. I want to follow my own ways right this minute, right? And we've all been there, and, and we have this incredible gift from the Lord called grace. It is an incredible gift that we can't even understand. And grace is not meant uh, purely to um, be a crutch that we just, uh, you know, throw our arm over and we limp along our whole lives. The Lord will be there. He'll love you till the day you breathe your last. He loves you. It's not about love. It's not about his desire for you to, for his best towards you. But it's there to uh, cover us when we're being dumb. And then to empower us, I want you to say that out loud, it's there to cover us when we're dumb, but it's there to empower us to change, right? right so it covers you, and thank God it covers you in our stupidity, because we've all been there, but then there's something that happens, because the Holy Spirit, the Lord is so jealous for us, he loves us so much, he will not leave us in our stubbornness and our pride and our stupidity, does he? He just keeps poking us and poking us and poking us, saying, come back to me. Come and give me. Come on, just give me your situation. Will you just surrender to me? He says it in love and he says it in grace, but he keeps pleading for us because he wants to do a supernatural work within us. 
And as soon as we give it to them, right, we've all been there, as soon as we can, we just fully, 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 fully give up. And I say it that way because we think we've given up, and then we think we've given up, and we think we have, but we really haven't yet. But when we just are utterly desperate, we can't get any lower, at that moment, something supernatural begins to happen, and a change occurs. And one day, you just start speaking different. You just start thinking different. You didn't even make the decision, I'm going to think this way instead of that way. Your thoughts are supernaturally changed. Amen. Who's been there? Who has seen all of a sudden you just start thinking differently and it comes out of your mouth and you're like, I have faith. I didn't even know I had this faith in me, but it's coming up and out of my mouth now and I know that it's the Lord. He's done something in me. And so the key I want to talk to you about today is this incredibly powerful key called humility. Everybody say there's a key in the kingdom and it's called humility. Thank you for your enthusiasm. There is a key in the kingdom, and it's called humility. And I want you to look today with me at how powerful this key is. And it really goes, this is, that's why this is all part of this series in his strength. This is just another layer to what God's been building here. This place within him, the place within oneness with Christ. And I want you to see that even Jesus, the Son of God, practiced this principle. Jesus took this key and used it. All right, let's look together in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 3. Philippians, chapter 2, verse 3 says, it says, Be humble. Everybody say, Be humble. It says, thinking of others as equal to yourself. Somebody correct me. Better. <laughs> right? Humble means to think of others as even better than yourself. Right? We're willing to be equal. When we humble ourselves, we get equal. <laughs> it's true, though, isn't it? But humility really is others better than yourself. And this is what it says. I'm blown away. Who is blown away by God's word? Who just reads something sometimes and you're just like, wow, there's so much power in this. The devil's been trying to keep us from this principle, from this key, because it's going to unlock something. There's a supernatural, there is a gift from God that's about to come into this room, even right now, by reading this word, when we can get this, something spectacular, something supernatural is about to happen, miraculous. It says, don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Verse 5, this is what I want us to get. I'm, sometimes when I'm writing my notes and I take a chunk of scripture, I italicize it. And sometimes I put bold. Sometimes I underline it. Sometimes I make it all capital. This time I did all four. I just couldn't get enough boldness to this. It says, you must have, I want us to read this word out loud because I think it's incredible. What's that say? The same. I'm just, I'm, I'm still letting the Holy Spirit do it in me because I hear it. This is why I was saying there, sometimes you have to, to speak something, you pray something, you, you say it because you believe his word, but you don't even have the full revelation of it yet, but you know that I need it. I don't know how to have the same attitude of Christ all the time yet. I can have the attitude of Christ when 
my stomach's full. I can have the attitude of Christ when the heat's on, right, or the air conditioning's on, when everything's comfortable. But if you create discomfort of any sort, the attitude of Christ seems to disappear. And I'm still asking the Lord to help me to have the attitude of Christ all the time. Because it says, you must have the same. See, because Jesus didn't turn Jesus on and off. Jesus was Jesus all the time. And the, the Bible tells me that I have to be the same. Man. But something's about to happen. Everybody say something's about to happen. Because something supernatural happens, though, when we can get this. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, because though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. So the Bible says he lowered himself down. He was God, but he put aside his God robe, his God crown, his God throne for a time, and he entered into humanity, verse 7, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave. He got low. Everybody say he got low. Jesus lowered himself. But something power, powerful happens when we lower ourselves. If you can get to see... We don't know everything about Satan, and we don't need to honestly study everything about him. We're gonna, our emphasis on, is on Christ. It's on the kingdom of God. It's on the blood. But the Bible says, do not be unaware. That's why he comes into sermons. He's going to come into today's sermon. I'm not going to give him the credit, and I'm not going to give him the, the focus of today's sermon. But I must be aware that what he wants is us to be in pride. We don't know how it all happened, but in some way, shape, or form, he became filled with pride and said, what makes you God? I don't know exactly how that happened, but that we just know that from our word, and he fell. Jesus said, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. Because, see, pride cannot stand before God. I've said this before. I'm either, you either choose to humble yourself or you be humbled by God. Because my word says that every single knee will bow. And every tongue, when I hear every, I don't think, well, you know, maybe not this one or that one, or maybe not the angels, maybe every means human. When I hear every, I think every single entity that he's ever created, even the animals. Because my Bible says that if we won't cry out, even the rocks will cry out. Do you understand? That God will be glorified. That if we won't do it, the rocks of the earth will do it. So every single thing, every living thing that's ever been created, it will bow its knee to the Lord. It will hum be humbled. I don't want to be humbled. I want to humble. Right? Who's been humbled? <laughs> Who has been forced to be humbled? That's not fun. Ain't nothing fun about it. I want to humble myself. And the Bible says that when Jesus did it, it says he was born a human being. He appeared in human form. He humbled himself in, you ready? Obedience to God. I want you to say this out loud. Humility is obedience. You cannot separate the two. You cannot say I'm humble if you're being disobedient to God. It literally is the picture of humility. It's obedience. It's the sim simplest form, and that's why I talk about this a lot, but pride is subtle, 
And pride, we think of pride as someone puffing their chest up and being really like, you know, like, look at what I did, look at me, and look at who I am. We think of pride like that. But pride is actually very subtle. Pride is just, it is just thinking, ready? Even thinking a thought contrary to the word of God. Even thinking thoughts contrary to the word of God is pride. That doesn't mean that it's easy, and I'm not saying that the Lord is condemning you, because remember we talked about grace. Grace happens when you say, Lord, I don't even know how to control my thinking. I feel like I'm in pride, God, and you know what happens? His grace is so amazing. The blood of Jesus is so powerful that you don't even have to be there yet. Who's thankful that because we're not there yet, right? Paul said, I haven't achieved it yet, but I'm pressing towards it. That even saying to the Lord, Lord, I think I've got it under control, but I really don't. And my thinking right now, Lord, I'm just, I'm not in full agreement with your word, but I'm aware of it. I want to be. And And the moment we do that, we're actually bringing ourselves into obedience. Just because you haven't obeyed yet. You are bringing yourself, and this is what happens. This is where the Holy Spirit gets, goes to work in you and starts rearranging and changing things. That's the place that we must get to. It is a heart. And hopefully with time, I'm going to see that, that it's a heart that he's after. The Bible says that he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. I want you to understand this. It's not just that he died on the cross for us and shed his blood for us. But you have to understand that Jesus didn't deserve it. You realize how low humility is? You realize the definition of humility is lower than low. It is when, that's why the Bible says, turn the other cheek. If they ask for this, give them that. When we have the biblical definition of humility and not a Christian definition, wow, wait, what? There's a difference? Yeah, because we can all define it in a Christian way. You know, you're not a doormat. Don't let people walk all over you. I don't see that in my Bible. Who's read that in your Bible? You're not a doormat. But we all say it. Be humble, but you're not a doormat. Don't let people walk all over you. Well, Jesus let everyone walk all over him. He let them actually nail him to a cross. Now, I say that with a grain of salt, okay? There is a point where someone can be abusive. Maybe they've asked you, you're like, listen, you asked me to go mile, I went two miles, I went three miles. I'm done at four. That's between you and the Lord at that point. But you get my point that we can't have the Christian concept, right, a a theological concept of humility. The biblical concept of humility is that, Lord, whatever you ask of me and whatever is asked of me, God, I'm just, I'm going to assume every single time that I'm in the wrong. I'm going to assume that I don't have it right every single time. I'm never going to assume that I'm right in the situation, even if I am. Because that's what this picture was, that Jesus was obviously right, and he assumed, he took the assumption of being wrong. He was in our place, yes, amen, because he's Christ. But do you see what we're talking about here, what humility is? A biblical definition of the type of humility that God wants us to get into. Now listen, this is what happens. This is why I'm so excited about this. I'm not excited about the cross. No one's excited about the cross we must bear. But this is what happens when we bear the cross. Verse 9, therefore God elevated him. I want you to get this. He humbled himself in obedience and God elevated him. I want you to say that out loud. He humbled himself in obedience 
and God elevated him. Who wants to be elevated by God? I don't want to elevate myself. Right? Jesus said, don't even take the, don't even go into the room and take the best seat. Because you don't want to be embarrassed if someone comes and says, this seat's not for you. <laughs> What's he saying? He's just saying, listen, live a life. I'm not talking, you know, being, you know, we think of humility as the guy who's quiet in the corner. There's nothing wrong with that either. But I'm just saying it's not a, it's not a physical thing. This is a spiritual condition. This is a place where you just like, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm your slave. Lord, you know, let me be wronged. Let them say something to me, and I know that they're wrong, and just let them be right today, Lord, for once. Just let them be right. And something supernatural happens. God begins to elevate you. Because what happens is, who's elevated yourself? Right? Every time we do it. Well, you know what? Today I'm going to stand up for myself. It never wins, especially if you're arguing with irrationality. Right? If we elevate ourselves, it never works. We must let God do it. Amen. God will place people in positions of power. He will take situations where and everything was done wrong to you, and you just stay low and don't ask for any change. I mean, you're asking for it in the kingdom, but you're willing to even live a life that is mocked and abused and accused, and you're just willing to take it for Christ's sake to represent him and just to be love and to be grace and to be mercy. And I'm telling you, God will not look at that life that life will not go unnoticed is what I'm trying to say. He will not look at it and, and not realize what is happening. He will not leave it be there. The Bible says, and I believe this, in fact, this is a lifestyle that I have made myself live, and then I have to be reminded, the Holy Spirit's reminding me again too, of just to be low, 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 low before him and let him do it. Because the Bible says, God elevated him to the place of highest honor, and he gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. See, this is every knee. Every knee will bow and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. My word says that he wants me to have that same attitude, the same. He says the same. If he didn't mean the same, then it wouldn't have said the same. And you could look at the Greek, you can look at the Hebrew, and it still says the same. We must have the attitude that Christ has. I'm going to be humble to obedience, even to the cross, I mean, and I'm confident that your eye is on me the entire time. And whatever wrong has been done to me, whatever the enemy has done to me, I know, Lord, your word says that you will make him repay sevenfold. Right? Who believes the word of God? You know that the word says that whatever the enemy has done to you un, un, unjustly, unjustly, however you say that word, he will have to repay sevenfold. And so the Bible says here in the book of James chapter 4 and in 1 Peter chapter 5, the same exact thing. And we can look at Ephesians 6 like we've been looking at, and it says the same thing. It's this place where we lay down our strength, we lay down our arms, we recognize it's him, and something supernatural happens. I'm going to read from James 4. I just want to read through the text of James 4 and 1 Peter 5. James 4, verse 6, And he gives grace generously. And he gives grace generously. 
generously. The Bible says that, see, even if we don't understand how Satan's pride and, and how all that happened, it really doesn't matter, does it? Because my Bible says, I don't even need to worry about Satan. I don't even need to think about that it's him. It really is him behind it, but it really doesn't matter right now. Because I know what my word says. God opposes the proud. Who wants God to oppose us? I don't want to be opposed by God. Anybody want to be opposed by God? The Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. This is the thing. Let's, let's apply the first verse here. He gives generous grace to the humble. If we will humble ourselves, I, <laughs> what, I can't, what I can't really preach enough is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians, and we looked at this a couple weeks ago. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 9, God spoke to Paul, and he said, My grace is all you need. I can't even preach it with enough authority that I want to, what I can hear from the Spirit of the Lord out of my human mouth. I know your spirit hears it greater than even your ear hears it. That he said, If grace is all we need, then I believe him. My grace is enough. My grace will sustain you. The Bible says here in James 4 that he gives generous grace to the humble. Verse 7, so humble yourselves before God. And the Bible says, resist the devil. It's all in the same line. Humility before God, resist the devil. You realize that Jesus, before he went to the cross, had already gone to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. At the moment Satan had come, you know, the Passion of the Christ, I think, does a good picture there. Because if he's sweating and if he's arguing with God, there's obviously an internal struggle, right? We're aware of that. Now, they took some artistic license in the Passion of the Christ movie, right, where Satan is the serpent in the garden. Do you guys remember? Uh, it's not in the Bible, but I actually really like that because I think that that's exactly what was happening. And see, Jesus had resisted him because he was already in submission to God. I want to say it this way. You cannot resist the devil, but if you humble yourself before the Lord, you're already resisting him. Do you understand that? Resisting the devil is humbling to God. Humble to God, I'm resisting the devil. There's only two sides. There's no gray area. Grace covers the gray area, but that's not where God wants us to be. You realize that's not his place for us. There's a place in between the wrong decision and the right decision we call grace. Grace. G-R-A-Y-C-E right? Grace. That's really where it is. We don't, do you think you need grace in heaven? So what is grace? Grace is obviously getting us from the wrong decision to the right decision. Amen. And so in that place where I humble myself before the Lord, I'm resisting him. And the Bible says, verse 8, all together is one thought. You know, there weren't verses here. So James is actually saying one continuous thought here. We break them. We break them off and we just say humble ourselves or we say we, a lot of people quote verse 8 alone on its own because it is a beautiful verse. It says come close to God or you may know it as draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. It's a beautiful verse, but we need to connect it together with this, the rest of the thought, both before the verse and after the verse. It's so important that he says it again. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. So there's a picture here of what humility is. Humility is resisting the devil. 
because I'm coming close to God. There's this picture that's happening here. It's where I'm not doing it. He's doing it, but I've made the choice to do it. We talk about this a lot. That koinonia, that's that Greek word that means it's me and God together. It's God in heaven and me on the earth. It was God the Father and Jesus the Son. Remember, Jesus went to the Jordan and was baptized, and he said, I saw the Holy Spirit come, and at that moment, the ministry of Jesus began. There was Jesus on the earth. There was God in the heaven. The Holy Spirit bridged the gap between the two so that they became one in their ministry in the earth. We must get to that same place where, and he was washed in the Jordan. I mean, he's Christ, so he did it symbolically for us. He did it as a picture for us to understand. Uh, he obviously was without sin, but it's a picture for us that we come into that place of washed from sin. We are washed in that place. There's a unity with God that begins to happen. And the devil, this is what I really want us to get today. I've been talking about strength, and I've been talking about the armor. I want to talk about this today for these next couple of minutes to get you to get this. It's impenetrable. It's impenetrable. If we can get into this place with God, the devil cannot get in. And that's why I started here, the secret place. You realize if sin on the priest would kill him, do you think the devil's allowed in that most holy place? There is a place in God where he cannot go. It's an escape room. Right? You ever seen those? They have these, the ultra-rich have these rooms in their house, right? Panic rooms, you, some people call them. And it's a place, you know, with armored and fireproof and oxygen from outside and food and water inside. And the point is that if a, an invader came in their house, they could go in this room and they could lock it down until the police come. There's a place in God that the enemy cannot get in. There's this place in him that he, must, that he wants us to get into, and what happens is, the Bible says, verse 10, he says, humble yourselves again. He says it twice before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. I want you to get this. Every single time you feel like, I'm being mistreated, or Lord, the enemy is really having a field day in my brain. Or, you know, so-and-so is always getting everything, and, and Lord, they, it seems like you just make it easy for them, God, and, and everything's just so, such a, Lord, they just pray, and instantly they have signs, or Lord, it's such a struggle for me, and Lord, and et cetera, et cetera, where the devil's going to try to get your eyes in this natural realm, get you looking and get you thinking and just calculating, et cetera, right, until you're until you're, you're so frustrated, you're so tired, but there's a place in God where we just, we become humble, we become low. You realize all the noise is still going on around you. It's a place, and this is what I'm trying to get to us, is the humility of Christ was as a slave. What's a slave? That means that he was under the oppression. A slave is under the burden, especially thinking of the cross. That gives us a big picture of what that humility was. The cross didn't go away. The burden didn't go away, but his heart and his mentality was changed. And I said I would look at it, but we'll just say it for today, and I'll get into it next week. The Bible says that when Samuel went to look 
for the man that would replace Saul. What did he say? I'm looking for a man after my own heart. And you know what the Bible says? He came and he saw all the brothers. And he's like, he sees Eliab, the older, oldest brother. And he's like, man, surely this is the guy because he was big and he was strong. And he looked, you know, like this, like a king. And, and the Lord said to him, I don't look at appearances. I look at the heart. The Lord is, is, is dealing with hearts. He wants us to get us to this place in our hearts where we are so submitted to him. And the enemy is going to try to get in and we just... We're just, he's, he just cannot. There's no entrance. It doesn't mean that stuff's not going on around you. It doesn't mean that the arrows aren't coming, but they're not able to penetrate. Amen. First uh, Peter chapter 5 says the same thing. Now, if two writers, especially with a similarity to Philippians and Ephesians, if two writers are saying something uh, in different chapters, different churches they're writing these letters to, then I want to pay attention. Amen. And they say, he says almost the same exact thing. He starts off, it's almost like one was reading the other. Might be copyright infringement here. Right? Paul was reading Peter's letters or Peter's reading Paul's letters because he says the same thing. He says, 1 Peter 5, verse 5, Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. He says the same exact thing. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, they were both quoting, it looks like they were both quoting Proverbs 3.34 when they started, and then they both expound on the thoughts with their own words, but the same concept. He says, verse 6, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, now this is key. Now, Peter gets into a little bit more detail here. And James, it's just humble yourself, resist the devil, he'll flee from you, God will lift you up. Sounds simple in concept, much harder in reality, isn't it? Who has understood a concept in God, but then you go to live it, and it's really hard. You're like, Lord, you told me to cast all my cares upon you. I already did that a hundred times today, and somehow I still have my cares right here. Right? It's hard to do easy to say, I say all the time. But then just do it again. And Lord, obviously, I didn't cast them on you hard enough if I still have them. So here they are again. Thank you for grace. I just humble myself again. That's not, you know, the Lord is not offended that you humbled yourself even lower. Because my word says, if I still have my cares, if I still have fears, if I still have anxieties, if I'm still angry, if I'm still bitter, then I'm obviously not humble. Judge a tree by its fruit. I'm not talking about judging each other. I'm talking about you judge your own tree. And if you see fruit that is not of Christ, then just humble yourself even lower. Deal with it right then and there. Lord, I'm obviously not humble. I mean, why try to dance around it? Because my word says that if I will humble myself, you'll lift me up and the devil can't touch me. Why am I fighting with him? Why stay in this war? No, I'm humble. I'm humble. I'm bitter, but I'm humble. I'm just angry, but I'm still humble. I don't like them, but I'm humble. I hate them, but I'm humble. The Lord's allowed to hate, right? So I can hate, etc. Whatever reasoning the devil gets in your brain, he just plays this game in there. If I haven't gotten on the cross yet, then I'm not humble. That's so sharp, but that's the word, isn't it? Because I want to get to this place, because the Bible says, verse Peter, he expounds a little bit deeper than James. He says, because... 
if you will humble yourselves under the mighty power of God at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. And this is what I was trying to get to is that we think, I humbled myself, why isn't it working? Right? Aaron, my son, offends me. I go to him and I apologize to him and he just stares at me. Well, I did what I was supposed to do. If I'm waiting for his response, then I'm not really in humility. I'm waiting for him to say, you know, I forgive you. We love hearing that part. It's like just, we say I'm sorry, but if it doesn't come with the forgiveness, I'm not sorry anymore. I guess I'm not. You think I, I, you're the one that's wrong. You should, you're the one that should be saying sorry. I only came to say sorry as a formality because I thought you would say it back to me. Let's just be real with the Lord, right? Be real with our hearts, because why are we letting the devil keep us trapped when there's a freedom that God wants us in? There's a lifting up. Come on, I want him to lift me up. The Bible says he put Christ where every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Now, we're not Christ. We're seated in Christ. But I want the Lord to put me in that place. And it sounds like the way to get there when I read my word is that I let the abuse come I stay humble, and the Lord does it for me. You want the Lord to fight your battle for you. Does that make sense? Let them say the the word to you. If you think you're going to convince the obstinate and stubborn person in that moment that they are wrong, you are very, very deceived. You're not going to convince them of anything. Just be humble and let the Lord deal with it. And I've seen God do this, I'm telling you, I live by this. But the Bible says at the right time. It doesn't mean it will come in that moment. I have seen things take seven years, 10 years, 15 years before I finally saw what I can just, a a spiritual picture of a lifting me up out of that situation. I'm not saying that someone finally came to me and was like, I was so wrong. (laughs) Good luck with that. But that you'll see that God brought... God brought a conclusion to the situation, a finality to it, right? And this is what it says, verse 7, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Again, he brings in Satan because this is what it is. Satan's going to try to keep you trapped, so he's telling you to be humble and uh, under the power of God and that the Lord's going to lift you up, but Satan is involved in this fight. Stay alert, watch out. See, because he's going to try to get you back into your cares, going to get you out of humility. This is why he's coming into the conversation. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Stand against him firm in your faith uh, and strong in your faith. So we see the picture here in James and in First Peter that they both are talking about this uh, concept of humility in a place where we don't quite understand what it truly means to be humble, but believe me, there's plenty of situations that the Lord is giving us right in front of us for us to practice this. And the Bible says, we can look at, look at verse 10. I'm going to have this here in my notes, but I want to just see this here. It says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory. Isn't that incredible? Who wants to share in his glory? Do you realize how big that is? The glory of God by means of Jesus Christ. So this is connecting to Philippians that we just read earlier. 
Because just like Christ, after you have suffered a little while, see, everybody thinks that we're going to avoid the suffering, and no one likes it. I don't even like talking about it. If I wasn't a preacher, I wouldn't talk about suffering. I just read the verse and skim over as fast as I can. Well, he's going to lift me up, so I just want, that's what I want to focus on. But after, <laughs> everybody say after. Everybody say it again, because we need to get this. You still go through it. It's really about the heart during. It's really about the right heart during. I think when God looks at us, when we, we're in heaven and God lays out our life before us and he looks at how he's going to judge our works and judge us, it's a different type of judgment. This is not heaven and hell. This is a heaven judgment, just looking at our works. And some things are going to get burned up, the Bible says, and some things will last into eternity. And when he looks at them, I think a lot more of the little details of heart, the way our heart handled the situation is going to be much more important to him than the actual action we did or didn't do. Because the suffering will come, but it says, after you have suffered a little while, you've kept your heart right, I stayed humble, and the Bible says, come on, and this is what I want you to hold on to this, I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to leave here so encouraged that your situation will be restored. I want you to say it out loud. My situation will be restored. God himself, let's say this out loud, God himself will support me. God himself will strengthen me. And he himself will place me on a firm foundation. Amen. Thank you, Lord God. We just praise you. We give you glory, God. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that, Lord, give us your heart. Lord, David said it to you. I'm going to say it to you. This church is saying it to you, Lord. We don't even know how to live this out. That's why he said, God, give me your heart. I want my heart to be like your heart. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that there is a lifting. You're going to lift this church every individual, every situation, the bondage or the frustration or whatever's been done, even things in the past, I thank you, Lord God, we just stay low before you for the sake of our brothers and sisters, for the sake of, of Lord, representing Christ the right way. So they cannot point at us and say that's not Christ, but they see Christ through us. I thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God for your grace and mercy towards us, and I pray that we would also be a people that gives so much grace and so much mercy. We stay low, we stay humble, and I thank you, Lord, that in this place the devil has no power because we have no agenda. We have no name to worry about except your name. We have no notoriety to worry about except yours. I thank you, Lord God, for that place you're bringing us into. We're going to live there, Lord God, and I thank you, Jesus, that there is strength coming. There's a firmness that is coming to whatever's been loose and shaky. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you, church.